Welcome folks to another edition of the Constos Convos podcast. In today's episode, we welcome Cameron Jack. Cameron, the Scotch-born actor, was born and bred in a working-class shipbuilding family in Partick, Glasgow. You may recognise Cameron from his familiar roles in Tiger, The Bill and Emmerdale. He's also went to appear on Hollywood blockbusters such as Chris Nolan's Batman and Guy Ritchie's new upcoming movie, Cash Truck. Cameron was good enough to turn up and have a chat with me. I really hope you enjoy as much as I did. Thanks again for tuning in. Let's start the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the Constos Convos podcast. Mr. Cameron Jack, how are you doing, mate? Hi, and welcome to my show. Thank you. <laughs> Mate, I really yeah. appreciate you coming on and doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for having me on, mate. Um, it's I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I have done a number of podcasts, but all all here in uh, England, where I've been for the last twenty eight years. So you're the first, thanks to our old pal Derek McLean, the legend that is. <laughs> you're the first Scottish podcast I've ever taken part in. Good um, man. Well, thanks to Derek for that. I, I, I'd like to say the same, mate. Uh, thanks, yeah. Dale, for hooking us up. Because obviously I've been putting out there and I says, guys, I'm, I'm looking for people that are interesting. You know, that could be celebrities, just anybody that does something that's yeah. a bit out there. He's getting contact. He, Derek, says, Derek told me you said, I'm looking for ball bags that, that, that mate, just talk on. Aye, basically. <laughs> Somebody can talk a load of shit and he says, you know what, my mate, <laughs> He can do that in abundance. So uh, he says, you know what? He says, cracking boy. He says, I'm sure he'll oh do God. that. So, Listen, I'm still boy. No worries, mate. I've, I've, no worries, Del. I've said, I've known him. I think I was work, trying to work it out. I've known him, I would say, so I started school at four and a half. So it's 40, I'm 48, you know, 40 odd years, 44 years. Um, and we were as thick as thieves at school. Um, and he's just a he's just a great lad. And as we've said, you know, before, cracking family, um, yeah. just really nice, really nice people. Um, but um, I got back in touch with him a few years ago on the old social media, which is uh, one of the good things about that, that the dark art, the dark yeah. arts of the social media. Um, yeah, so nice to talk to you, mate. Is that us done? <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Well, we, we said that, like, and that's something that. It comes across with a lot of people that are saying, you know, Facebook's this, it's that, you need to get off. And yeah, I yeah. do believe it, it's like alcohol. It's so yeah. easily, you know, to abuse. Yeah, but like anything, you can do it right. You can have a couple of drinks and you can have a great yeah. time. Just relaxes you, loosens yeah. up the tongue. So Facebook, it's great to, you know, like Derek, I guess you're moving away down London. You fall away for so many people. You're a busy man. You're a successful actor. You don't see these people. Well, you just lose, you lose track of people and you do think about people that you were close to. But before, you know, before, I think the thing with Facebook is you, you go on there and at first it's like, like you're saying, it's like, it's almost like a drug. You're like, oh my God, it's like a whole new world opening up. And then get a wee bit older and you're like, oh God, I can't sit on there for two, three hours a day. I've got too much to do. Um, but it's, it's a good thing and it's obviously, it was brilliant to be back in touch with Eric. Yeah, He'd have killed us, mate. Him a mention, wouldn't, wouldn't he? 
Aye, aye, you need to mention him. So we better mention, we better mention Greg Crawford and Rosemary as well, then, eh? That's right. Aye, the the, the whole McLean's just is just lovely family. Yeah. Um, his younger brother Greg's a good pal of mine. We we were really good pals. I don't you fall away from people with your families, but I'm still yeah, in yeah. touch with him to this day. We kind of bonded yeah. uh, for our mutual love of hip hop and underage drinking. Yeah, you know? brilliant. We used to batter Greg. We, me and Derek used to batter <laughs> Greg because he's a, how much younger than Derek is? He's like two, two, three years. I would guess I something. I think it is three years. I'm not a hundred percent sure because again, Derek was that when you're wee. That's a long yeah, time. Yeah. It's a long time. Hey, probably batter me now. <laughs> he's a he's a he's some height, Greg as well. Yeah, I know he's a big, a tall boy. I've got I've got Greg on Facebook as well. Um, the weird thing is, it's like. Um, it's when they're kids, like Derek's kids, Ben and Cara, when you, when you, you get them as Facebook friends, you're like, Christ, I'm getting old, man. I am oh. so old. You're you were happy meant to for say, people, but you, you were just... Meant say, you, you were meant to say, but you don't look old, Cameron. But Mate, listen, I, I'm not no lying for anybody. This is my <laughs> podcast. I'm keeping this real. <laughs> Keep it real. <laughs> Mate, uh, I, would, I, I would like to know a wee bit more because, you know, for people that... Uh, probably don't know you they actually probably do know you you've been in so much you know like you're going to yeah. your your imdb it's like oh my god oh my god i actually showed your picture to my message she says i know him she's like i heard that's i know up, him i says could you watch thing. it that's that ugly that's that, no she says that's that wee handsome guy off the telly isn't it thanks mate thanks that's that fiver in the post um <laughs> There's that thing with actors, isn't there, where you know the face but you don't know the name, and I think um, I fall into that category for a for a for a lot of people. Um, so, so a bit of background: I was I was useless at school, um, and I hated school for the first minute of primary school to the last minute of secondary school. I detested it, and um, I wasn't academic. I wasn't good with my hands, and then. I kind of discovered, I won a stand-up comedy competition when I was about seven or eight at school at Thornwood, which is where Derek and I went. Um, and I remember the applause and I was like, oh, this is quite cool. And then I did stuff in first and second year at secondary school. And then because I didn't want to appear uncool, I was like, God, that people think I'm like a bit weird getting up on stage and, and singing. So I kind of gave it a, I gave it a bit of a, Basically, I've discovered Clatty Pats. So, um, <laughs> Clatty Pats, yeah, I'll show your age. I kind of, I put it in the back burner when I, when I, uh, sort of went out. But I was, I was, as I say, I was useless at school. My first job was a YTS at Marks and Spencer's in Argyle Street. And, uh, I just remember thinking, I'm kind of doomed. I've not got, um, I don't know, I, I've, I'm not smart enough to go to uni. Um, I could always talk. And then I had a couple of, you know, jobs, I, I was selling beds and then I worked in a career service. By that time, I got back into the amateur dramatics, which is a big scene in Glasgow. And I never thought that um, I was exceptional in any way, but other people told me that I could make a go of it. So off the back, off the back, I just other people encouraging me and then like winning a few quite big sort of karaoke contest because I, I wasn't an actor at first I was I was mainly a singer um, I a thought, showman mate because you're doing stand yeah, up you're singing talking you wouldn't, that, that, you wouldn't say that if you seen me dance mate 
terrible. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, never mind two left feet. I've got six. <laughs> so basically, basically, I I um, I tried for this drama school in London. And I didn't have, I had no actors in the family. My old man worked in the shipyards and my mum worked in York Hill Hospital. So I never knew any actors. So I was like, I was told there was a place in London called Mount View Theatre School. So Dougie Henshaw went there. Um, Ken Stott went there. Um, uh, loads of good actors. Um, I'm just trying to think of the Scottish ones that went. And um, I heard they did a good musical theatre course. So I went. And they told me I got in the same day. And then a couple of months later, I got a scholarship. So a few months after that, I was in London, kind of going, right, so this is, this is it. That was 1992. But what I did, Brian, was I started on a musical theatre course and I was always more interested in the acting. Um, and I asked to swap over and they wouldn't let me. Um, so my training's actually quite kind of tits and teeth, as they used to call it, jazz hands. My training's very sort of uh, very musical, but um, it was never really what I was interested in. And when you're at drama school, if you're lucky, you, you get to do some camera stuff. And I was just, I think it's partly vanity when <laughs> you're watching yourself on the telly. Um, but I was, I was very drawn to that. I liked the, I liked the fact that it was more about acting naturally than trying to be noticed in the back row of the stalls when you've got 1,500 people in. Yeah, projecting yourself in over yeah, yeah. and stuff. That, it's like that, that, is, that takes a lot of skill. And a lot of actors say, oh, they, they, you can't beat the live experience, but I always adored filming. So um, I kind of, my career has been, it's 25 years now professionally, and... There was a big stint of musicals. I did a few in the West End, but before that, I'd done the camera stuff, and then I was itching to get back to it. So the last sort of six or seven years, actually, wait a minute, probably seven or eight years, has been just basically, I've not done any theatre. I've done TV and film. Um, but I didn't do a film until I was 39, and I'd done various telly things. <laughs> and that was uh, that was the Dark Knight Rises was my first film. So I, I was. That's not a bad one to start with, is it? Not a bad one to start with. Wow. Um, but this is how bizarre this business is. I, I hadn't worked. Uh, I, the last job I did was December January, and then I was back. I was, I was. I filmed the Dark Knight Rises in May, two thousand and eleven, but. The job I did January, December, I was the dame in a panto um, in Basildon in Essex. Um, I was prancing about, full makeup on, fake boobs. And then... Can I just say for the people that... They'll probably look you up and stuff. He's sitting there tatted yeah. up. Not yeah. a bodybuilder looking guy. Bit of grizzle yeah. on his face. Mate, Listen, you probably mate, make a right ugly woman. I just... I, I'm a, a very, very ugly woman, but I've got charm. <laughs> I've got charm. Definitely. Um, so, so, that, so that's how bizarre it was. I was, I didn't work for like five months and then my agent um, had a very tough conversation with my agent, um, who's now no longer an agent, a girl called Claire Saunders, who basically took a punt on me about maybe five or six years before that. Um, when it's very rare you get actors that are, constantly working um 
but she took upon it and they were things were very quiet. But I was I was I was wanting to get seen for some of the, the sort of British films that were happening and some of the some of the American stuff. So I sat clear down and I, I just was like, I feel completely disillusioned because I don't feel I, I've got to do what I set out to do. Mm-hmm. And um, she told me a few home truths. And then a few weeks later, I was in the room for what we thought was a low-budget superhero film called Magnus Rex, which I was told was shooting for $10 million in Bulgaria. And I thought, that sounds like a brilliant gig. Um, and then the following Tuesday, I was told I'd got that Magnus Rex gig, but it wasn't Magnus Rex. It was The Dark Knight Rises because Chris Nolan keeps he keeps everything under severe wraps. Um, so Inception was called Oliver's Arrow. I, I, I don't know, but I think I'm right in saying each title for... So this new film, um, is it Tenet or Ternet? That's Tenet that's coming out. Yeah. Um, he uses the names of uh, Chris has got a few kids, so he, he mixes his kids' names up and puts a title in, and then you think you're going for a completely different project. So it takes all the pressure off, um, and it stops any sort of leaks because um, when when I started, they used to post the script out to you, mm-hmm. so you could go to a photocopy and you know just send it to a few mates and go, oh, "Look, I'm up for the bill or casualty," and. You know, a script would be out there. Now it's all done digitally and it's done, you have to sign an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement. So if you discuss anything that, uh, quite often you're you're working on a film and it's quite a big deal and you obviously, as an actor, you want to blow your own trumpet. <laughs> so you want to tell people that well, you can anybody, mate, especially something that, yeah. that you know people are going to eat up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're going to go, wow, tell us more. Like, I'm dying. You're like... You can't Look at the see, cast in that movie. Yeah, and one of one of the um, one of the um, one of the strictest non-disclosures was Game of Thrones. I, I unfortunately wasn't ever had three auditions for Game of Thrones and got close a couple of times, but no oh, cigar. After three, you don't get in. Yeah, I know, mate. That must I know. Be a in the balls, eh? It is. It is. Just and, getting so um, close. Yeah, but you've got to. Part of the job is dusting yourself down. Um, and just going on to the next one. Um, I, I've got a, quite a positive mental attitude about it, um, but I was up for Chernobyl a couple of years ago. Um, it's probably three years ago now. And I got through the first round and I got to the second round and I, they sent me five episodes. I can't remember how many episodes I were, but they sent me most of them. And I was only in, the character I was up for was in three or four. But I read the episodes I was in, but I had to keep reading it because it was one of the best things I'd ever read. It was a great show. So when, yeah. So when you don't get those gigs, you it stings. But it's you have to, be, you have, to have a positive attitude going into the next one. Um, I've seen actors, some, some who are mates of mine, who carry an air of like depression and anxiety and it's not an attractive trait in, a, in an audition and that old school thing of actually going into the room and meeting the producer the director and the casting director that old school thing you get obviously with covid that's completely stopped but it was becoming like that anyway so so what you do now is they send you the script you, you sign your nda you electronically send it back to your agent, your agent sends it to the producer, they send you the script, you learn the scenes and you film it with somebody reading in for you. You then 
send it away confidentially, and that's how you get jobs now. Really? So, it, yeah, you get jobs without um, without actually meeting anybody. So it's crazy. Um, what it used to be was you'd do the first round on a self-tape, and maybe the final round would be live in the room. But because of COVID, it's, you know, people are getting huge offers on things from filming in their bedrooms and their, in their living rooms. So the industry's changed, but you can still carry bad energy on a self-tape. Um, so I, I teach a lot. I teach a lot of teenagers, people in their early 20s. Um, I teach a lot of acting, and I hammer that home that any negativity is an absolute no-no at an audition. And certainly, if you're lucky, lucky enough to get a job, any negativity on set is just... Listen, um, some actors might say, how dare you say that? But I've, I've been on sets where the crew and the makeup get in at, and the, the catering and the transport guys, they get in at... They're up at four, maybe in at five, 5.30. At the earliest an actor will get called in would maybe be 6.30, 7 a.m., and then some days you're in at 5 p.m. and you only work till 7 p.m. then you go home. So see when actors moan, it's I find it really fucking difficult to listen to. Working class background, well, you know what well, people see, are doing that's for a living. Thing. We're treat, we're, and we're treated like kids. I mean, you put your costume on and you if there's a little bit of rain, say it's spitting, there's somebody behind you like putting an umbrella over you, they won't let you hold the umbrella. It's ridiculous. Um, they don't let you get your own tea, coffee. I do get my own stuff. I know a lot of actors that will just, to the runners who are the, you know, they keep the whole thing moving. I'll just say to them, look, I'm, I'll, you don't need to bother me. I'll just get everything myself. Um, so, so actors that moan about that, uh, you know, it, oh, it's really hard going in at, at early in the morning. There's people on that crew working two or three times as hard as, as you are. Um, so I always try and remember that. It is, I think you're right, it's a working class thing. It's kind of instilled in me anyway. Um, You've seen it with also, your dad and your mum and then you went totally, through it yourself. That's why you yeah, changed out it because you're like, this is too uh, much like hard work. Yeah. I, I, I wrote an article a few years ago um, for a... For a a website called Drama UK. Um, it's it was set up for it's, it's closed now, but it was set up for people that wanted to go to drama school, were interested in learning how how to get into RADA and places like that. And uh, I was told to write an article called um, Life After Drama School, and I mentioned in it. And and Brian Cox, who's in Succession, Brian gave me my first job. Um, Did he? Yeah, I'm Brian. Like Brian, Brian. Uh, he's a legend. Do you know what we just Such done a, a podcast? We've just done a podcast um, with a guy down here called Adam Robert Lewis, um, and um, I, I was interviewed one week, and Brian was the next week. But Adam knew there was a connection, so I um, talked about Brian on my podcast, and then Adam was going to talk to Brian about me the following week. But neither of them have come out yet. So Brian gave me my first job, and. Brian's a working class Dundonian and there was an affinity there. But what I wrote in this article, Brian, was I said when 
my old man and my brother, my old man was a welder, my brother was a plater, my, my old man, brother worked in Yarrows, my old man worked in every fucking shipyard going. <laughs> he would go off, he worked up in the Shetlands, he worked in Holland, my old man, he worked in Broughty Ferry, he worked in all the, all the yards. But he used to come in, um, like, for work, and they'd be, like, filthy for head to toe. So that when he opened their eyes or smiled, it was like they were gleaming with white, white teeth and eyes. And I remember thinking, fucking hell, I don't fancy doing that for a living. I've got a, I've got a bit of laziness in me. And, but, and I remember them coming in a lot, um, especially my dad's, or oh, being made redundant. I need, to, I need to try and find another job. So you've got all that. And I think it does, it, um, it does instill in you a, a sort of an awareness of how fortunate you are if you get managed to get to where I've got to. But it was, Brian read the article and, and it was the one thing that, that stood out for him was me remembering that my brother and my dad had to work a lot harder to earn money than I would ever have to earn. Um, so you're actually yeah, lucky that that happened to you. To be fair, yeah, as you no, say, is that true. you that you appreciate stuff because I've got yeah. kids and you, you try and do your best for them, but yeah, it's boiled them at ways, and you're like, sometimes it's good to have that wee bit of hardship to make you truly totally. appreciate stuff because you can totally. if you if your stuff comes easy and it doesn't make you a bad person yeah. or it can if you're know, your yeah. personality, but it can be difficult for them that they just don't know I've, what it's I've, like. I think I've kept, I mean, any, I, I mean, Derek would tell you, I've not changed that much. Um, I know, I heard you've got your accent and everything's still, it's crazy. Well, think that I, you've been I, down there that I long. moved down here in 92 and I think I was, I, I had, I'd met a couple of kids at drama school who were there roughly the same time as me, who were for like um, Lanarkshire or Motherwell or whatever, you know, wherever they were from. Within two weeks of getting there, they had an RP accent that, yeah, because you just you, much like yeah. For somebody like me, it's a bit more uh, like not fully understand. It. It's like these actors can be from all over, but they they just become yeah. very well pronounced. Like I was actually watching Richard Button, yeah. right, the actor yeah. from Wales, totally. who's from a very, <coughs> I think they're from a mining town. It's like I think right. he had a ton of siblings, no money, yeah. just tough, hard as nails guy. What a speaking voice, but very proper. Yeah, but like but beautiful you were, voice, you were, but. They were taught in those days, probably up until the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, you were taught to lose your accent. Um, and there was a real fear that if you were working class and you were Irish or Scottish or Welsh or Scouse or Geordie, that you wouldn't work. And um, my attitude, in fairness to my drama school, they were very pro me keeping my accent, but they always said to me, it would be very useful if you could lose it as well. Um, but I just, I, I, I mean, I play, I'd say 80% of my work is in my own accent anyway. And I do you think, do English ones? Are you quite... Yeah, done, I do. I, listen, I've done, <coughs> I've done loads of accents. I'm fortunate enough to, I'm, I'm reasonably good at accents. Um, and I've done quite a few American things and some English things. Um, I've done Serbian, I've done West Country, Somerset, um, I've just done an audition for a big film, um, and a Belfast accent, but the one accent that does not sit on me right is anything posh, 
um, it just it just doesn't belong on my in my mouth or on my skin. I've tried it, um, but it's very weird. And there would be a potential scenario as an actor where you don't really turn down a big audition. But if I felt I was really wrong for something because they wanted me to be posh, I don't think I would want to be in that room. I think I think. Uh, I think when I walk into a room, because I've got a broad accent and because of the way I look um, and because I'm kind of comfortable in my own skin and I like a good laugh, um, I think I say this to my students, your aim as an actor is if you go in at half ten in the morning and you're the first one in and they see 13 more throughout the day and they've got to make a decision on who's got the gig at 5.30 that evening, they've got to remember you. They've got to remember you. So the worst thing you can do is kind of push and kind of kind of try and stand out. And I just, my attitude is, fuck it. If they, if they like what I do, cool. And by the way, I wasn't always like this. I used to get a bit neurotic. And you, you do, when you're a younger actor, you want to be a people pleaser. And That's people in general, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah especially when you're trying to get a job. Um, yeah. And... There's a lot of bullshit in, in, in this industry, but I think I learned over the years and partly getting good jobs made me feel more confident in a room. My attitude became, do you know what? If they don't like me, that, that's cool. Somebody um, somebody else who's more right for it will get it. Dust yourself down, move on to the next one. Um, but I can, as you can hear, I can chat very easily. And some of my students, I've got a real lack of uh, cultural awareness, political awareness, things like sport, and I've 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 discussed everything at, at castings from martial arts to Rangers and Celtic to the SNP and the Tories to the last Brian Cranston series that was on, and a conversation spark up about things that are. Completely unrelated to the fact that you're trying to get a job with these people, and if you can't converse and you can't um, sort of show a wee bit of intelligence and a little bit of sort of cultural awareness and a bit of like worldly wiseness, I think people struggle to get gigs. Um, yeah, because said, it's it's about being liked, doesn't it? Because that's yeah. what I'm trying to tell people all the time is like, yeah, how well you're liked by certain people, like obviously. Robert De Niro worked with Scorsese because they felt totally. a real bond together. Uh, I've had umpteen jobs then I've since yeah. like just through friendships and meeting yeah. people and as what you said, I, that is a big thing and I'm fortunate that I'm into so much shit. I love everything. Yeah. I can talk yeah. to people about movies. Yeah. I, I speak to my pal today, he's an engineer, I love all that and just, I love talking so, to people and once you hear stories and you link things up, it's it's like you can see their face change straight away and... Yeah, it definitely helps. I've got a mate, Dan Edwards, he, he, he's a casting director and he's lovely, a lovely, lovely lad. Um, Dan casts uh, Lena Duty, Sherlock, uh, Ripper Street. But Dan will say to me before I go in, Cameron, don't fucking talk for 20 minutes. Just like I've got two other actors I need to see by three o'clock. So don't. So I do sometimes I have to measure myself and go, fuck it, you're talking too much. That's me. Um, I've just, I just like meeting people. And um, my attitude is if it's not this gig, it might be six months, a year, six years later, where they go, 
he's he's he wasn't right for this, but he's right for something else. Um, yeah, that's maybe but, why you shouldn't take it too personally because you says like we're watching a movie like somebody like me is he's not a believer yeah. or like me looking at you and you have to turn and go hey Lou Brian or like that just yeah yeah exactly. Well. It's um, when you're putting something together, it's a jigsaw puzzle and and you can you can blow your audition out the park, smash it out the park rather, but you just don't fit into that jigsaw for that I particular project. But I think what you're saying is interesting because I think on the um, on the bigger budget productions, particularly, they're spending a lot of money, and I think the the way you come across at your auditions important. They want to know when you're on set two things that you're easy to work with and you can cope under pressure with whatever's thrown at you. Um, and I think some actors struggle to show both those things when they're in a room. Um, and being sort of easygoing and affable, but but being able to turn on when you need to under severe pressure is is part of getting filming jobs, I think. Um it's weird. I've I've done I've done jobs that I've I've liked the script and I'll do the job for eighty quid a day because um I, I did a film about two years, two and a half years ago in Glasgow called Boys Night with this young director, uh, James Price, who's um, he's from Springburn. And they wrote a film, he wrote a film called Boys Night. It's about a wee boy, it's based on his life. It's about a wee boy who has to get his old man home who's absolutely steaming. He's got to get him across Glasgow in one night. Um, and they run into these two mad neds they go to a fish and chip shop, they go to a park to play on the swings, and eventually it, um, it all comes together. But I read it and was like, there's not going to be any money in this. I think it was, it was 80 quid a day, but it was spectacularly good. And then you've got... So we were filming in... God, I think it was November, December, and it was absolutely Baltic. <laughs> and there's, there's so little budget, you've got to get everything done really quickly. And then on something like The Dark Knight Rises, the budget's $250 million. And that's, they've got, that's just like the... Yeah. they doesn't got, get any bigger, got, I feel like. They get any bigger, really. I think the budget on this one that they're doing, the the new one with Robert Pattinson, I think that's like 300 mil, 310 or something like that. Um, but it's a different kind of pressure because you're, you're, you're on set with movie stars, so that can make... Intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating-intimidating
but he's for New Cross. He's a working class boy. He just he's wants a Millwall supporter. It's probably yeah. his Scottish roots, to be honest. Yeah, he might have. I was like, do you know Terry Hullock, Gary? Hardest man in football. Yeah, hardest man in football, definitely. Um, and so there was a real kind of, we got on really well. But I did say to him, um, he was he was my like my fucking hero, and he appreciated it. It wasn't it wasn't kind of like arsy about it. It was just like very humble. Thank you. But I told them that one of the things that made me want to be an actor was the opening scene of the firm, which he the original firm that he did, which was directed. Brilliant. By Alan. The part was brilliant. The same, yeah, well, he played. What Betsy. we got to do with Celtic? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, he, he walks in the opening scene, he's an estate agent, and he walk, he's got a bit of chewing gum in, and he's got a, like a pencil tash. And um, he walks down the street, and he's got a client that he's viewing, uh, he's giving the viewing to, they're kind of trying to keep up with him, and he's just talking at them. He's not talking directly at camera, but he's just chewing the gum. And I, that would be 1986, 87, I was literally like, who is, who is this guy? And I told him that when I saw that, it, it, it kind of, it stirred something in me that made me go, that's what I want to do for a living. Um, so yeah, getting back to what I was saying, you've got to hold your own with these people. Um, and I, I don't think every actor's cut out to do the, the big budget stuff just purely because they can't control their nerves. Um, I've just, I've just done, I went to Los Angeles in December to do um, Guy Ritchie's new film. Um, now, I shot most of my bit in London, then went out early, then we came back to London, finished it. But Guy um, is, he'll write an amazing script and what, what Guy's very well known for is changing things maybe with two or three minutes before he starts shooting. So I was in LA and I had, I can't really say too much, but I had, I had a scene where I had no dialogue and I had to stand in this street in Los Angeles and kind of be on a phone and look around. The guy came out his trailer um, and he came up to me and he's like, how you doing? I was like, all right, guy. And they say, and again, <laughs> I don't want to be like, guy, it's so nice to see you. <laughs> Ecstatic that I'm taking part in this project, which dude, I've seen it time and time again. But he said to me, he went, I've got some bunny for you. And I'm going, What the fuck's bunny? And he's seen my face, he's gone, Rabbit, chat. He's, uh, he's like, I've got some lines for you. So he hands me this script, uh, this page of dialogue, which is maybe 10, 12 lines long. But in two or three minutes, I've got to, I've got to start the, the shooting the scene. So you've got 12, 12 lines of dialogue and I've gone, I can get half of this in, but I'm not going to get the full flow of this. So he's seen my curtain and he's gone, I tell you what, he said, I'll read the lines out off camera and you just parrot them, but throw the acting in. And I'm, I was the only actor on location. There was extras in his cops. Now, one of the things is when you get a part, Despite the fact that I'm comfortable with accents, you want to learn the dialogue in the American accent. So I'd never said these words, and he's just written this mad sort of monologue. 
and he's shouting things out to me, and I'm literally repeating in an American accent words that I've never said with like maybe 40 crew around, lighting guys and fucking sound guys. And no pressure at all. <laughs> pressure. And when I'd finished it, I thought I'd one little slip, I'd one little slip on a word, but we did the line again, and I think we did it a couple more times, but I when he shouted cut, came over, gave me a hug, was like, I'll see you in London. And he walked away and I was like, I handled that quite well. I'm not being cocky, but I was like, I could have gone to shit there. Even at my age, at fucking 48, I could have gone to shit. But, but I was quite pleased with what I did. And I think, I think with film acting, that's part of the deal, is just that coping, coping with that pressure. As a pressure on this, a guy, as this is, me looking in like Guy Ritchie, he's at the movie he's a he's done he's changed stuff. See with like um like I love Snatch, what a movie, really? and look at all the guys that wanted to work with him. Yeah, you know, Brad Pitt yeah. went out his way in and he he done the old Irish gypsy accent and stuff and yeah uh, yeah he catapulted well, Jason Stratham into the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jason's Jason's in this film. Um, Is also, a, yeah, Jason's in this new film. Um, he's the lead, but the um, I, I found them both very down to earth. Actually, um, Jason was just a total gentleman. And he's an, he and worked, used to work in the market selling fruit. He did. He did, and then uh, that's right. He sold fruit, and then he was, I think, he was in the British Commonwealth squad as a diver. As a diver, so he was. Yeah. Huh? But then, yeah. guys, what we talked about is he comes from money and he's educated and yeah. stuff. But he was in the Joe Rogan podcast, and he's. Highly intelligent man, really. Yeah, yeah. And he he's really a, a fit, strong guy. He knows his martial arts and everything. You know, you. Well, he's a black. He's a black belt in jujitsu. And Ivan Atkinson, his producer, is also a black belt. And um, mate, I've never felt as unmanly on a set as I did <laughs> on guys. Everybody, but like it was. I was like, so what do you do? Um, it, like my my agent had, I think she had three or four of us in it. But one of our clients, an, an actor called Jim Warren, they call him Judo Jim. Um, he was he was an Olympian judo dude, and he taught guy judo. But guys, guys very loyal. He um, he tends to use some of the same actors again and again. So all you can do is turn up, do your best, do a good job, cope with cope with what's thrown at you, and and you move on, um, and hope that you get the call again. But, you know, there's a lot of directors out there, a lot of producers, um, not so much at the moment, um, no. a lot of casting directors that I've never met. And the crazy thing about this job is you have no idea what's around the corner. Um, I'm off next month, possibly early October, I'm shooting an ITV drama um, playing a, a cop um, very high up in the force down here and I didn't see that coming clean shaven good guy um, and that is exceptionally rare for me normally I'm uh... but do you know what's funny about that I, I can tell you it's a show called Unforgotten which is on its fourth series 20 years ago um, I did a sitcom a Scottish sitcom called All Along the Watchtower don't even try and remember it because you won't <laughs> Um, 
it was made to go into the last of the summer wine schedule when they were having a wee a break because <laughs> they were all ancient, weren't they? And they needed a few months <laughs> off. So we get, we get, I get a part in this sitcom. It was a shite part. It was like, I was in four episodes. Anyway, I met this dude on the sitcom. He played the lead character, a, a brilliant actor called Chris Lang. Now, Chris, I, I knew Chris when I met him was writing. He used to write kids' books and kids... He wrote a thing called Kipper the Dog, which was a massive uh, kids' uh, TV series and books and stuff. And then I noticed, like... And I, I didn't see him on telly anymore, but he's become this hugely successful writer um, for ITV. And he's on four series of Unforgotten now. We touch social media again, Brian. We touch oh. base on Twitter about two years ago, and he was like, Cameron, he's like, are you still acting? I was like, yeah, aye. <laughs> um, so because we got back in touch, I got the audition for Unforgotten. Um, I was well prepared. I went in in a suit, shaved my stubble off for once, and I got the gig. So we're filming. I actually got that job last November, but um, it's it's taken so long. They, they shot half of it, and then I had to stop because of COVID. So we pick up again uh, late September, early October. So you never know what's around the corner. Mate, that's crazy. My missus loves the ITV dramas, and we watch it now. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they're just yeah, sitting yeah. there, and I'm like, what's this show watching? Yeah, I'm, broad. I, they're well shot. Yeah. Cracking the, acting. The British, there's a common misconception um, that Brit Brits only do period drama well. It's garbage. Line of Duty, Broadchurch, Happy Valley, Unforgotten and and dozens and dozens and dozens of others. The bay, the victim, the cry, um, you know, guilt. There are hundreds of these dramas that we do brilliantly. Um, and BBC and ITV, they just churn them out. The standard's unbelievable. And some of the stuff up in Scotland, like The Victim, I don't know if you saw it, I, I didn't get an audition for that. Even Shetland is a What's the one I watched with uh, Martin Comston? Uh, that would be, yeah, that was... Um, I really enjoyed that, I get caught up in that. Yeah, The Nest, which was yeah. also brilliant, which I did get an audition for, but didn't get. So oh, uh, anyway, just roll with the punches, mate. Um, but again, another example of a brilliant show. So so we do some amazing stuff. In, in Scotland, turns out some amazing drama. I mentioned Shetland, Guilt. Shetland's just phenomenal and I think Dougie Henshaw and, and obviously Mark Bonner who's another you know Dougie and Mark are just fucking these are remarkable actors um, and you get people like Brian Cox out there doing succession you look at these guys and, and how can you not be inspired I, I, I watch stuff in these Scottish actors and, and they pop up in the maddest of movies like Brian Cox uh, he done the stuff with uh, Wes. Is it Wes Anderson? I love Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah. Who does? He played uh, oh, the headmaster Ned. of Rushmore. Yeah, and it was brilliant. Yeah. And then I watched. He's in the Spike Lee Rushmore, joint. Brilliant. He's yeah. in Twenty Fifth Hour, singing yeah. the Bonnie Banks Woman at the end. He's in all the Bourne films. Oh, what a guy! And uh, another boy. Yeah, just we're watching. Uh, he was in. He's in Braveheart. O'Hara. Yeah. And yeah, Davey. Yes, yeah, and I, I was watching uh, which your man John Favreau and Vince Vaughn had the wee part yeah. partnerships, and he turned yeah. up and made, but he played a right Scotsman. O'Hara's doing brilliant. lines in the bog and that, yeah. and I went, like, "How the, good!" Davey O'Hara is a bit of a, like a, an acting genius. 
he's one of those he's one of those names that comes up when you're an actor and people talk about who he thinks a good actor. O'Hara's always on that list, man. It's like and Mark Bonner and you know, the bit there are so many good Scottish actors. I mean, a phenomenal amount of them um, all over the world. And it's it's brilliant for such a small nation. We and actresses, I don't I don't mean to talk down your Kelly McDonald was in what was she Kelly, in? She's just Country done for old men, I think it was. Yeah, or something, something. She was phenomenal in it. But you've got Kelly, you've got Shirley Henderson, you know, the, there are so many of uh, the girls. Well, Shauna McDonald, yeah, dozens of them, um, and and we are really blessed that such a small country's got so much talent. But it's the same with the writers, the directors, the producers. Um, it, it, we we in many ways we punch well above our weight. Um, I've got to say though, I would, I would love to come up there, and I mean I've worked up there a few times recently. Um, we shot Caliber up there, which was a big hit on Netflix. I did still game. Um, God bless my pal, what, Mark. What Cox. did you do with you guys? Uh, I was, uh, so basically, Mark Cox and Paul Riley and Jane McCarry and Gavin, um, they're good pals of mine, but, but Cox is an old pal and so is Paul's are. And I was, I mean, I love still game. I love oh, I, every episode. Um, and there was a lot of shite. People were saying, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. I thought the last couple of series were as good, sometimes better, than they ever were. But I kept saying to Coxie, I was like, oh, Coxie, man, just one fucking, one <laughs> fucking... And Coxie, bless him, Michael Hines, the director, Coxie just pestered him, pestered him. So I flew up to Scotland, and I read for this security guard in the museum who's got a scene with Jack and Victor. And that was it. So, um, but I came up and did that, um, which was, a, I wanted to tick a box. I came up and did Outlander, did Calibre, did a wee film called Bound in March. Outlander, was that the kind of the tribal kind of fighting one, possibly? That's, Outlander's a historical drama. It's about a girl who travels back from the 1950s to uh, like Scotland a like, hundred years before she meets this guy. So it's a time travel thing cool. and it's hugely successful. They're on series, coming into series six now. Um, but I played a I played a slave owner um, who um, pulls the guy's intestines out and what hangs him. So that's the kind of thing that I normally do. Um, <laughs> so I would I would I would love to, <laughs> I'd love to work up there a bit more. Um, but I think what Scotland needs is a film studio, and I don't. I think it's only a matter of time before that that comes. And when that comes, the quality that's there now. That will multiply by everybody from all over the world to become in Scotland to shoot stuff because there's nowhere like it. The talent, the scenery, you know, the weather. Um, yeah. It's just a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal place. So I'd love to come up here and do a bit more stuff. But as an actor, you just go anywhere for work, really. Well, you you you've obviously got a family and stuff down there as well. So yeah, I've got my, I've got my little girl Alba. You tell she's half Scottish. Um, yeah, so Maisie and I, my other half's an actor as well. Um, we had Alba about 18 months ago. Um, and I was in London from 92 to till about a year and a half ago. And um, I hated it. I, from the moment I got there to the moment I left, a bit like school, I was only ever in London for work. It was only ever, if I stay here, 
I'll work more. Um, probably that working class thing, that fear of like making a change because people might forget that I was there. And then we found out Maisie was pregnant and we moved to um, Thorpe Bay, which is right on the coast down in Essex, near Southend-on-Sea. So we're 30 seconds from the beach. It's so quiet. Um, we were on the beach today. Alba was paddling in the sea. Um, it's a completely different life. And when I started, you did have to be in London or you certainly would maybe have more auditions. But now you can be based anywhere in the world. You send a video in and you can be, you can film a video in Leeds and be in Romania the following week. So the industry's changing. It's getting a lot more technical. You but have to more well known too that people, as you said, you can rekindle relationships. So you don't always need to yep. be in amongst it, learning that and being the scene because it's like, oh. No, absolutely Cameron's not. Cameron's over there, and, give him a shirt, nah, you know? well, well, it was always it was always networking was the, the thing we were taught at drama school. You have to always make sure that people know you're aware, you're available. Um, but half the battle in this game is your agent. And if you've got a good agent, which both Maisie and I, we get the same agent. We're fortunate. We've got Wendy who looks after us. And she's brilliant because she can open doors that other agents can't get. They might have a better actor, but... You, they won't get the opportunity because they just don't have the contacts. So the agent's important. But I think, I think I've got, I do say to my students as well, you've got to retain a competitive edge. You need to be hungry. Um, I've spoken to, you know, I, I mentioned this in the article I wrote, um, and I've spoken to actors about this. You've got to be as hungry as the day you leave drama school to the present day. And I'm 25 years out, but I'm still... I'm still itching to work, meet new people, do new things. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a couple of my mates who are ones in Serbia shooting a movie, other ones in Czech Republic shooting a series. Uh, I've got an old pal who's got a phenomenal part in this Batman film. Yeah, there's, there's a wee bit of jealousy. You're like, oh, God, I'm so pleased for him. I'm so pleased for him, but I wish it was me. I want to be the one that gets the big gig next. And there's no harm in it because you're not, I'm not kind of pouting around the house and kicking tables and kicking the dog. I'm just like, oh, got to up my game. I, I, you want to get around amongst, and that competition's actually good for you too, isn't it? Yeah, totally, totally. And when you go to a, when you go to a casting and you see other Scottish actors, like there's a couple of brilliant, brilliant Scottish actors that I see a lot. There's, an, there's a brilliant actor called Jamie Mickey, who's actually related to John Mickey. Um, but I've seen Jamie at a couple of auditions and I walk in. Eamon Elliott's another one. Eamon's a brilliant actor. Um, he's done Star Wars and, and amazing stuff. But if I see those two, I'm like, fucked. There's no chance I'm getting this gig. But it makes you aware that you have to be on your game, you know. And one of these days, they might get, they might split six gigs between them. But the seventh one might just be, Oh, Cameron's maybe a wee bit rough around the edges with the tattoos and the, you know, whatever. So let's just go down that. You get the, you get the, um, you get the stock answer as an actor, the rejection answer, which is um, they really liked what you did, but they're taking it another way. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're going a different way with it. Um, it's gone away is another one. Um, I'm afraid it hasn't worked out. And it's just a constant barrage of, like, no's. But see when you get the yes, 
that's better than the job. That's better than when the money hits your bank account. You're just like, fucking yes, yes. Got it. <laughs> yeah, get out of you. Um, <laughs> but, but there are so many good Scottish actors, so you've got to be on your game. It is. And, but <coughs> with, you were saying earlier that you've been doing a bit of writing, but with the lockdown. and Yeah, yeah. So, that's another thing you're doing. Yeah, when the COVID kicked in, I, I mean, I've written before. Um, I've written a play, I wrote a, a co-wrote a screenplay, and I used to have a film company with a couple of a couple of mates. You're always hustling, dunking and diving, um, and I've been close to getting stuff made before, but no cigar. So I was aware that I I wanted to write a film, um, not necessarily as a vehicle for myself, but something that I could really identify with that might be a little bit different to some of the other stuff that's out there. So I started writing a film and off the back of Maisie being um, really proactive with her writing, Maisie wrote a, like a sitcom. So I was sitting watching her write and I read it and it was really good and I was like, I've got to get my finger out, Mars. Again, you're spurred on by watching other people around you. So... I, I was shitting myself. I was like, right, okay. So I wrote a stage adaptation about 10 years ago of American History X, the Edward Norton movie. Really? Um, and I got it read by a couple of people. And I got a theatre and I got a producer and we were ready to go. I had a four-week run in southeast London, but we couldn't get permission from the screenwriter, David McKenna, to do it. So that just that's sitting in a drawer. I'd love to go back to that. It's not as good as it could be. I would redraft it, but I think it's still a possibility. So this film, I was like, right, I need to write what you know. So it's called A Darker Game. And it's basically about, this is hot off the press, mate. Um, <laughs> it's, about a, it's about a man who um, is a very, very hot prospect as a footballer when he's young. Um, multiple, multiple clubs chasing him. And unfortunately, he's at a club in Glasgow. It's a fictional club. Um, there's absolutely no mention of any of the clubs in Glasgow in this film. Um, and he falls into the hands of um, a, a coach who abuses him. Goes completely off the rails, gets into drinking drugs, has a kid along the way. And um, he's then approached by two old teammates to stand up in court and try and get this guy... Uh, bank of rights and this guy's gone on to be a very successful businessman um, he's on the honours list he's like you know kind of like lord of the manor and this guy who's very conflicted and angry and bitter has got to decide whether he's got how does he deal with that so it's, it's a dark story but um, about two or three years ago I know you like football so you'll remember there was just, in England, there was a, a group of lads that just came out and said, yeah, we were it. Well. Yeah, and, and the one that, that, that staggered me was Paul Stewart, who played for Spurs in England and Liverpool and Man City. And I, I remember thinking, how did that lad, how did, because it's, it's an awful thing to happen to anybody, but I couldn't understand how he managed to step out onto a pitch every Saturday and and become an international and get million pound moves from the biggest clubs in our lands to, and win, you know, major things. And then I read his book and I was blown away by the amount of horrible 
pressure he had in his mind, you know, throughout his daily life until he had the courage, you know, he found the courage to stand up and say, actually, I was abused as well. Um, so I read the book, did some research, and I was just like, this is a, I'm not sure there's ever been a film like this. So we, when you write a film, I mean, I'm, I'm writing characters, you know, Peter Mullen jumps into your head, another absolute genius, oh, by the way. Brilliant, oh. absolute brilliant. Yeah. I met him yeah. going to a football game. I won Led. tickets to Celtic <clears throat> yeah. versus Barcelona, and me and my brother were running because we were going to be late. And I actually, yeah. and I didn't know who it was. I ran into him and I grabbed him just yeah. because I was going to knock this man over. And he had to turn his head on and I'm like, Mr. Mullen. And he's like, oh, and he's shirting them out to my brother. How good is that? He's a legend. He's, uh, do you know what? I've never met him. Um, they, they, I mentioned earlier. You we haven't shot, met him? I've never met so, him. Surprised we, shot, that. We, sh- we shot the boys next so I Actually, I'm lying. I did meet him very, very briefly, but I was burling. I was absolutely steaming. <laughs> um, my mate, I'm going to mention another brilliant actor here, Scottish actor, Stephen McCall. Stephen's for Castle Milk. Yes. We, he's an, Stephen, he was, was that no young man that was in Rushmore as well? Seen him play the bully? Rushmore. Yeah, Rushmore, Orphans. Um, Orphans so are a great movie. Uh, brilliant, brilliant movie. So Stevie and I were close because we'd done train spotting on stage. And Stevie was like, I've done this film, Orphans, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to come to the rap party? And uh, I who met did you, sorry, who, who did you play? In transport, I was Begbie. Yes. No surprise there, eh? Let's get back to that in a minute. <laughs> so Stevie, Stevie, bless him, took me to the rap party and, and obviously Peter directed it and wrote it. So I met him briefly. But Peter is, Peter loved Boys Night, which is a, the little short film. I was, I'm going to send you a link to it, Brad. Peter Please. loved Boys Night. And James Price, the director, was telling me a few weeks ago, he went to Peter's house, it was sunny, and he sat for four hours in the garden. So Peter's going to mentor James um, on a couple of projects coming up. So if I'm lucky and I've done my job right, maybe, just maybe, I'll be lucky enough to work with Peter because that would be brilliant. Um, what, how did we get on to Peter? What was I talking about? <laughs> What were you talking about? I know, it's just you got, that was a good sidetrack. It's like Billy Conley, you get... um, I bet he he can remember. (laughs) Yeah, he can remember. And and now we're like, oh God. Um, We were talking about Peter for some reason. Oh, that's terrible, Um, I can't remember. That's awful, mate. Don't worry about it. But um, yeah, so I met him briefly. Um, Another, obviously he's another hero of mine. Um, But never been fortunate enough to work with him. But he's another one of those people that you've, it's like, I know what it was. When you're writing, you've got characters in your head. So I was writing and Peter keeps coming into my head and I'm like, Peter's never going to do this gig. He would need fucking, there'll not be enough money for Peter to do this gig. It won't be good enough for Peter. But you just never know. And, and I, um, I just decided, I was like, if a lockdown, if a lockdown, if you can't write a film in a lockdown, when the fuck are you going to write a film? Yeah. Um, so no better written, time to do something like that. Yeah. Know. I've written a two-hour film. I'm not happy with it. There's a lot wrong with it. I'm correcting it. I'll do some work on it later. Um, it needs kind of rejigged, redrafted. But I would say probably four weeks' time, it'll be ready, and I'll probably send it out to people later this year. I've got a couple of producers that like the subject matter. 
um, go and read it, give me some feedback. The problem with writing is you'll get, you, you'll get constantly, I like that bit, but I don't like that bit. Change that. I like that bit, but I'm not so sure about that bit. Maybe you could bring another character in. So your head can end up being mince, but you've got to speculate to accumulate. Right? There's no, you know, don't get any prizes without fucking putting it out there, but do you? You need to be able to win it. And nah, I had a it. screenwriter on yeah. podcast twice, a friend of mine who writes for the BBC, and it's we spoke him. about the the process of writing script is what you says. The, yeah. the first ones are you they're just it's not anywhere near where it needs to be. It's always revisiting it and the shell it's back. a shell yeah. Um I was reading about a very um well known film. Um it's an American film, but I read I can't even remember what it was. Um but it was made on its twenty first draft. So from the first draft there were another 20 rewrites before a producer went, yeah, we're happy now, let's shoot it. Um, so it's just part of the game. Um, and I think, I think as an actor, it's easier to write the dialogue because I've read a lot of different you know, scripts and uh, worked with a lot of different directors and actors and you, you pick up styles and you, you know, it's like being a football coach. I think you... You learn from people that you've that have kind of coached you or directed you or whatever. Um, the dialogue's the easiest thing to write, in my opinion. The difficult thing is the description. You know, um, so-and-so, Gary walks into a room, Mark turns up, Mark is worse for wear, blah, blah, blah. Because those bits have still got to be interesting when you send them to a producer or a director like Peter. To, so... There's always stuff to learn, but you can only get better by doing it. So, um, is we'll that see. You, you know? and Maisie do it together? Is she good for like no, no, she, she writes her own. She writes her own stuff, and I read it. Um, Maze has been nowhere near this because, for two reasons. One, I think it is so Glaswegian, and she does. She can interpret my accent for people, um, but I, because I, I, I kind of hold Maisie's opinion so closely. I don't want to give her it until it's ready. Um, okay. And she'll be honest, and I'll go in a bad mood and be like, you're always critical. And then I'll realise she's right. Yeah, and then I'll the, do the truth's a better pill, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. But we, we bounce off each other. You know, we, um, she's in the next room doing a, an audition tape for a, for a job. <laughs> um, is that just done on your phone? Is that, or do you need to use more professional got, gear? Most people do it on their phones. Most people do but we've got, I like putting things on a memory card, slotting it into the computer, editing on, on iMovie before you send the audition off. I'm quite old school at that, um, but phones are perfectly adequate now, if not better. They, you can get, I mean, phones have got so much memory now. I mean, 132 gigs on some phones, more probably. Shooting 4K and, and everything. Yeah, totally. And then you've got all your editing equipment. And what do you apps, think about that? Cameron, they're just asking because this is a big yeah. thing. Like for me, I'm a photographer, right? So yeah. the whole high definition, right? And it was I was watching something and it was a while back. I think I had a I was just I get back and it was a I'm sure it was like a it was set in kind of um a plantation, I think. Mm. There were slaves and stuff. I was watching it. It was for me personally, 
it was too real. I could see yeah. the makeup. I could yeah. see, and I'm like, it just looked like a stage play. You know, when I watch movies, it's like that grain and stuff. It just yeah, yeah, totally. It becomes so believable. This was just literally. And I, I says, I could see just too much. Yeah, totally. It, the HD things, it, it's become what I've noticed as an actor is you, you'll go in and you used to get makeup on films and TV. Now they kind of look at you and go, nah, you're fine. Just, I get, I would say 75% of the time I get left alone. Because especially in a contemporary film, if I'm playing a drug dealer, pimp. They want um, a bit of character and a bit of. You want to see your scars and your yeah. spots where you're. You know, you're rough around the edges. And unfortunately, whatever you've watched, they've probably, it just looks too polished. But mate, It you, wasn't like a high-end movie or whatever. It was just no. literally, I don't know if it was a made-for-TV. I've just one of these bizarre, things that the just like, is that strange? The bizarre thing is, the more polished it looks, the cheaper it looks. It um, and I think a lot of filmmakers don't get that. Um, I did a film uh, with a brilliant young director called Cause Greenup called Wandering Rose, a horror film. We shot it in Abbey more about, what well, must be about seven or eight years ago. But I, my one criticism of that film was that the makeup artist was very theatrical with the makeup. Um, it was like pancaked on. And I, because I'm so easy going, I didn't want to upset the girl. I didn't want to, you know, wind cause up because he was under huge pressure anyway, shooting up. There was 50 grand budget on that film. But see, when I watched that, I was like, fucking hell, I look like I'm on a stage. Um, but the problem is, and you'll, you'll appreciate this more than anybody, when I, when I started in this game, you, had, you absolutely had to go to a top-level photographer to get your headshots done. Because I've, seen, I've seen some of your headshots are great, by the way. Yeah. But, 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 the and I love that style. I like these high end yeah. ones. They look great. The, the thing is, the thing is, that headshot is the single most important thing to get you a meeting for a movie or a TV gig. Your CV is important, but your headshot has to make the casting director it's go. what you look like in the camera. It's like, yeah, does totally. the camera like you? The, so, two things. A lot of younger actors, they'll go for a sunbed, they'll put drops in their eyes, they'll get their teeth whitened. They'll put loads of makeup on, they turn up. Then four weeks later, they walk in a room and the casting director's like, well, you don't look anything like your headshot. And the other problem is the top-end photographers down here, people like Jenny Scott, um, who we always use, um, they're trained in photography. They know about lighting. They They know the tricks of the trade. The problem now is loads of actors buying a camera and going I'm a headshot photographer actually you're not you're not a headshot photographer your your sideline is headshots but you know there's a thousand things that you don't know about shooting a headshot and you can go you can go to one of these dudes for a hundred quid but we pay the 300 and go to Jenny because and that's cheap for what she gives you but Everybody thinks they can do it now. That's the problem. YouTube, you can learn to do anything. I've mm. got a friend... Uh, you can learn to do stuff badly. And some people do go on and do great things. Like my friend, <laughs> Jeff, yeah. he, he was actually similar to you. I'm sure Jeff started in theatre and things, right? And yeah. he became a photographer. 
No, he he's he works in New York, uh, Brooklyn. He's got a studio there, where he did when I when I seen him. Um, mm-hmm. And his headshots are just I want to say I'm they're just they're amazing. They look like stills from cool yeah. shows. He's honed his skills. Yeah, I, I don't care who you are, whatever. As an amateur, you cannot recreate what this guy does. He's using ah, nah, high-end totally. equipment and he's pushing it and you just say the lighting, the look and everything. Yeah. And I just look at him. Yeah, yeah. I bow down to your skills. I just love the there's look a, of these. There's a, I think the reason we use Jenny Scott, she just has a style that um, that is... It, it just... I feel when, when Jenny shoots me, I'll look like I would when I walk in a room. But she also makes you look... How you want to look in a way, isn't it? It's yeah. like, gives you the confidence of like, this is what I am, this is, like, this is how so, I hope I look. Yeah. And, and I think she also talks to you while she's, while she's shooting you. She'll talk to you, get the right sort of thought behind your eyes, um, get, pick the right clothes, pick the right backgrounds for you. But there's, there's so many people saying, yeah, I'm a headshot photographer. And I see some headshots... And actors send me headshots and say, a mate did it a few weeks ago and I was like, you need to go to a proper photographer, mate. They are <laughs> terrible. <laughs> shadow, the shadow was horrendous. The, yeah. the, the sort of, the, the posture of the actor was wrong. The angle was wrong. The lighting was wrong. Clothing, I guess, because they got to guide you. And... Yeah, totally. And the, the, she'll say... Jenny will say, so bring some stuff. Um, don't bring these colours, bring these colours. Pastels are good. Um, and it's not necessarily a joy standing for 90 minutes, kind of posing and looking. But you, you're looking for, in a 90-minute session or an hour in some cases, you're looking for maybe two shots that, that sell you. Um, and I learned, I mean, I look at my first headshot and it's like every effort, everything's been pulled out of bad news shot haircut now i'm like fuck it i'll just go and and uh how every often do you do that her is that a yearly thing or no no on average i would say headshots get changed that maybe every three years um i think i said to Maze since i had alba since i had alba since Maze had alba since since we yeah 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 since we had alba um i'll look at like shots maybe a week after I had Alba just photos that we got around the house the hair's much darker um, and I look I look younger and I'm like amazed fuck I've aged in 18 months it's like the, the manager way. of the football team isn't yeah. it you see them at the beginning or, or a president you, like the a fresh face and, then, and you don't Honestly, notice until you look, look at, at the before and after yeah look at Obama now look at Blair look at I mean they, they age so much same, same with football managers. I mean, that 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 youthfulness just goes in the space once because you the, the pressure so much. You know it's what I mean? Stress. It's the stress. Yeah, stress, stress. But again, just having kids just changes everything about you, as you say. And it was good. I quite like that you said that about the eyes. Yeah. You no, know, like you've got to be talking and like as a photographer, it's and I've read about this, and this is the relationship you have with people, as you said, talking or. Yep. This, they need to coax stuff out of you, and yeah. you really do get that look in the eyes that people don't see these wee nuances and yeah, these yeah. subtle things that it make a difference. Won't be, it won't be in every shot. The, the other thing with Jenny, thing, I, I think she does Photoshop a little bit, but but, you, but, but some naturally, 
that doesn't stand Some people out. Will chop the shit out of things. Yeah, just that is smooth skin, smooth out the skin yeah. and everything. Yeah. No, she'll do the little, maybe a little touch here and there. I don't Usually even know. If she does. Yeah. You don't need it, mate. You don't need nah, it. Nah, I don't need it, mate. <laughs> I need more than Photoshop, man. I need a defibrillator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Um, but the headshots, the headshots are important. Um, that, I mean, we talked about Begbie earlier, so we'll jump back to that. I, I mean, do want to talk about that because yeah. and I'm not, another actor that I really like his stuff too, um, I'm sure you do get asked because you know that like, Jared Butler, you worked with Jared, right? Yeah, yeah, Jerry's, yeah, Jer- I worked with Jerry in 96. Um, again, Jerry, there was a misconception with train spotting. J- Jerry was renting and I was Begbie. Um, and we did the train spotting play just after the film came out. Because I read the book and I auditioned for the first film. Did it's a great it. book, really good. It's a brilliant book. It's a brilliant book. And then I saw the play at the Bush Theatre in London, and Ewan Bremner played Renton, um, and it, it just blew me away. But it was always a cult thing. And then when the movie came out, a couple of producers were like, "We've got to send this play out." And it was like it was like doing a rock concert. I mean, we filled the we filled the Blackpool Grand for a week, three thousand people a night, going fucking mental when Begbie and Renton and Sick Boy and Tommy were coming on. So there's a little lie in the industry that Trainspotting was Jerry's first job. It's bullshit. Jerry did Coriolanus with Stephen Berkoff. He was off shooting adverts here and there. But I met him and and his energy was fucking through the roof. Like, it was just phenomenal. And then... I think all these actors are a bit like that way. I get that sense from you as well. There's a real... You get that spark... You know what I mean? Yeah, it's almost it's almost like a manic energy sometimes. It's it really crazy. Is, mate. Yeah, it, it, but he's Jerry's like that, and he's still like that. I saw him, I saw him last year. He invited me to the screening of Angel Has Fallen, and he's not changed a bit. He really hasn't. Not with me anyway. And I, and I, he's got a project potentially that he wants to do in Scotland. And about two years ago, it got me and a number of Scottish actors and brilliant Scottish actors. Um, Phyllis Logan, Bill Patterson, uh, Alistair McKenzie, Neve McIntosh, really good quality actors. He got us round a table to read this uh, film that he's interested in doing. And I hadn't seen him for years before that. And we went out for a pint. Uh, we, the big man doesn't drink anymore, but we... Uh, he's a pure Hollywood guy now, isn't he? clean living dudes. He wasn't always like that, though. Um, <laughs> But he's got this producer sidekick guy, Alan, who's a lovely dude. And um, Jerry was, because it was 96, and Jerry was mental back then. I mean, like, nuts. And Jerry was saying to me, tell him some fucking stories about what I was like when I was young. So I'm telling it, and this guy, Alan's like, dude, you're kidding me. You're <laughs> so Jerry was brilliant. So we, we, we had it off as, with a good chemistry on stage, we had it off just as fucking mates. Um, and it was a, it was absolutely no surprise to me that that Jerry's done what he's done. He's got the charm of the devil. He's he's unbelievably fucking good looking. Um, he's also a fantastic actor. I think very underrated in a lot of ways, Jerry. I mean, if you watch things like Den of Thieves and Law Abiding Citizen, Den of Thieves is an I like that's a popcorn movie. I just enjoyed that because he carries these movies with some real phenomenally good actors around them. And 
he blows him out of fucking water and TM. You know, just to, to cut you off, yeah. Campbell, I actually watched a promo, you know, when they do the promotions, and he was on a, what is, it was like a hip-hop radio station. So yeah. he'd done that movie with, like, Ice Cube's boy and stuff, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Schreiber's brother, Leif Schreiber's brother and so on. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. But the guys were on, like, this hip-hop show. Yeah. Uh, Charlemagne and all that, and, and it was just funny watching him, <laughs> it's this boy... From Scotland, and amongst yeah. you know this hip hop, and Dumb he man. more than held his own as part yeah, of. They had him rolling, laughing, and it yeah, was. Bro- I just enjoyed he's that whole. Ridiculous, Jerry. Um, but I mean, uh, do you know what I like about him? He's got, he's still got that kind of like swagger and that bit of cheek that it's only a Scottish person could have. You would, he, um, you'd be a bit more quiet because it says you're, you're probably out your comfort zone in a wee bit with yeah, that because cool. it says it's the hip hop. They're all dressed that way. But different I cultures, and he just he's sunk right into it and done brilliant. Yeah, totally. But he's I've I've been to a couple of things that he's been um he's been involved in recently. Like I've been to a couple of screenings and I've seen him. And um I think there's almost a relief when we did the read through for the film, we managed to get about 15 minutes on our own. And I was like, I, I he was saying to me, you know, I was showing him pictures of Maisie and he was saying to me, fuck, you've, you've, you've filled out. You look like you're in good shape. And I was like, look, what's it like? And he was like, it's amazing. He said, but it's hard going sometimes. Like, we were in a pub, Brian, and, and um, it was fucking dead. And we were sitting relatively near the window. And a few people passed. And within... 15 minutes, there were another 20 or 30 people in the pub wanting autographs. And the way he deals with people is fantastic. But it but must be tough, eh, man? It is, it is. And, and people say, fucking, he's a multi-millionaire. How's it tough? Oh. It, he's, got, he's got no time. We went to the screening for Angel Has Fallen. Um, and uh, he came out, at a, I was with him, another lovely lad, uh, Robert Kavanagh, Scottish actor, my mate, Mark Colleen, who was in Game of Thrones. So we were there at a private event. How the fuck people knew, I have no idea. <laughs> we came out, there were paps there, there were crazy fans. And he was, I, I was next to him, he was just literally like, oh, for fuck's sake. And he Never ending. And if you're in a bad mood, you're having a bad day. Constant. Yeah, it, it's constant. So he's got, He's, he's made a phenomenal life for himself, but it comes at a price in it that there's, there's no privacy, um, you know, and it's it's extremely stressful. And also, he's, Jerry, I think, thrives on stress a wee bit. Not only does he carry the films, he's producing them as well. So so there's a lot. But, but there's one it, I would love, I would just love to get onto something that he was on. Um, it's a little bit like that with Brian Cox as well because I've known them we're coming up for 25, 26 years it does a, you watch these people kind of explode and you think to yourself it would be nice to work with them now as opposed to when things were a bit calmer um, so I'd love to do something with Jerry um, Den of Thieves too, hopefully <laughs> set, set in Glasgow uh, fingers paws crossed for that one um, <laughs> But he's a brilliant guy. He's a, he's a fantastic guy. Um, and very, very funny. Get, mis- get that sort of mischievous streak, you know, where you're like, 
Fucking, he's on one tonight, the big man. Um, <laughs> I love him. I love Jerry. Mate, you've um, had some life meeting all these guys. Like, I'm, I love movies, and it's kind of the podcast are done. Yeah. And you mean Gary Oldman, you know, Jared Butler, you know, like yeah. I, I told my kids, I was like, "Big that boy, he was in the Batman movies." My bro, my boys looked me as if I right, you know yeah, what I mean? It's, I, it's mad, sure. and I know. Right. I'm sure that you you see the reality situation. You see long days. Yeah, through it all, but it's a magical thing, and Brilliant. people around the world love it. Movies have changed yeah. everything, you know. Look at like yeah. Mel Gibson's a Scottish hero because he made totally. Braveheart, which changed yeah. everything. Probably helped push the referendum. You've got guys like yeah. Sylvester Stallone who's seen. I'm sure he's in the boxing hall of fame. He will be. Yeah, I, I think he is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he is. You know, and just how we're just so into it, you know, and we've got guys that will all get our favourites in movies, and I says, you've been in it, mate, you, you're doing it. It's, it's brilliant. I mean, the downside of this job is, there's a lot of sitting around waiting for the, the jobs to come in. And I think, at 20, you know, I started 28 years ago. I don't say yes to everything now. I, by the way, I say yes to most things. Um, but there's the odd thing I'll go, nah, I just don't want to leave the girls for three weeks to do that, or the money isn't right. But I still love doing it, and it's a difficult bit, especially at the moment, but, but it's the same for everybody, is that there's, we just, we're just waiting for it to recover. It's, it's, it's like, I liken it to getting paid for doing something you love. It's um, and that's why I've always felt lucky. I guess it's the same for athletes, maybe footballers. It's something that they would do anyway, but it becomes your job. Um, but I'll just briefly tell you what my old man died in 2016, and I spoke at his funeral, which was nearly the easiest thing to do. But my old man worked away a lot because there was a lot of redundancy, so he, he would go off to Dundee. He worked up in Solomon up at Shetland. So when I was wee, sometimes my old man be away for four weeks and then back for a week and then away again. And my mum would go out with, you know, a couple of her pals for a wee, her pals for a wee ladies' night. But my old man was a big film fan. And I would be watching things like, I would be nine, ten. He'd be like, right, so we get a video recorder in 82. Um, a Ferguson video star, the fucking top loader thing, and weighed a ton. To, yeah, weighed a ton. Of uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I mean, I think the video machine was like 150 quid, which uh, was crazy. But I remember going to Video World at the top of Byers Road, which was the only video shop then. But it would cost you a tenner in 1982 to hire a film, and about 50 notes to buy one. So you were like, this is it's like a whole new world. But my old man would be like, right, so this is the Poseidon Adventure. That's Ernest Borgnine, that's Shelley Winters, that's Gene Hackman. And I'm like 10. I'm like, oh, he's good. Uh, Towering Inferno, that's Richard Chamberlain. Fred Astaire won the Oscar for that, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm learning about Robert Mitchum, Marlon Brando, Paul Newman. Um, but I, I spoke about it at his funeral. He loved a horror film, my dad. So I watched The Exorcist <laughs> when I watched The Exorcist when I was 10, 11. Um, the Hills Have Eyes, The Evil Dead. I was fucking like video nasty, kids. And I, I was like, I well. I was having mad nightmares. Comment again. 
but my old man, my old man got me into film. Um, he was he was the one that was um, he was the one that was responsible for it. He my favourite film is a film called Night of the Hunter, which is a black and white film. They remade it in the eighties, but it's not it's not great. But it's Robert Mitchum um, playing a preacher, Harry Powell. He's got love tattooed on one knuckle and hate on the other. And he goes after these kids who he knows have got access to uh, diamonds. And it is like Charles Lawton directed it, who was a big, obviously a big film star. And it was slated by the critics. And Lawton had a nervous breakdown and never directed another film. And now you watch this film, maybe in 1950, 53, around then. It's a masterpiece. And my old man showed me it. And I just was like... This is it. Yeah, this is it. This is, and that I think, that I think is what it's led to to where I'm at now. Um, but as a wee bit, I mean, it's just like I need to, I need to keep working my way up, you know, because I'm, I mean, I'm 49 next birthday. Um, that was your chance to say, mate, you don't look at it again. But anyway, don't, don't worry. About it. Um, <laughs> I'll edit in later, right? Yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, see, you're a technical, technical genius, but. But I'm always thinking, you know, I've been on set with some amazing people, but you're always, you always want a slightly bigger role or, you know, like to be a regular in a series as opposed to a guest. So there's always something to aim for. Um, and I suppose one of my regrets is that, like, he didn't get to see things like what happened to Monday or Calibre, but he did get to see The Dark Knight Rises, you know, and he saw some of the good TV stuff that I did. So he, he, he was, because at first when I said I wanted to be an actor, I think him and mum. Get a job. Fucking hell, no, come on. Because it's, it's... The odds it's are against you, that's why. The odds, odds are, alone, and he's wanting the best, he's wanting you to work, yeah, not to struggle. Yeah. And as he says, I'm sure nobody really on this planet has came from your know, family. It was like, Dad, I want to be an actor. And they went, yes. Yeah, because they I mean, know, they would it would be fantastic, it'd be an amazing dream, but yeah. it's like, oh, the odds are just so stacked against you, you know. I worked, I worked with Glenn Close um, a few years ago on a film called What Happened to Monday, and I read an article that Glenn was, um, Glenn's daughter's an actress, Meryl Streep's daughter's an actress as well, and I think no, Glenn no was, pressure there. no pressure, but Glenn was saying, oh, you know, anything but an actor, but. So that's somebody who's, you know, multiple Oscar nominations, one of the oh, best amazing. in the business, and still, and still freaking out about the thought that their kid might not crack it. Um, but they were, they were, I think part of the reason I'm still hanging in there is my, my mates, my sister, my brother, my mum and my dad's, uh, Maze, they've all been brilliant. And... Of course, there's a good bit, but there's a lot of rough where it's smooth. There's more rough than there is smooth. I can believe that, mate. I can believe it. Yeah, there really is. And um, it all looks great. And you do your red carpets and your, your, you know, your kind of suited and booted. Um, but it's not without its pressures, financial pressures. And, you know, um, like I said, just a lot of sitting around, Brian. But it's part of the gig. You know, that's why you do I do it because you love it. As you says, you've love done it, it without love getting it. paid, and yeah, you can tell me when you're teaching, you know, yeah. young students, and you want to be better. I guess that's why you're still relevant. Because if you get yeah. that way, like, oh, I can't be bored doing this, can't be bored doing that. People will sense it anyway. Yeah, I think I think I accepted um, 
I accepted when I was 26 and, and I got Begbie. So that's, fuck, that's 22, 23 How years cool ago. That? That's like a, and, I talk about my friends and saying, there's certain roles, me as a guy, right? I'd be like, Oh God. You're dressing up the women doing the drag stuff. I'm like, ah, it wouldn't be so yeah, cool. Yeah. You're talking about Begbie, they'd be like, how good would that be oh, to be? Because Robert Carlyle killed it. He was, for me, killed it. Like two wee, but oh, he killed he's it. A, he's, another, he's another hero of mine. Um, but I, I've watched both those films. It, for me, it's it's you and Bremner and Robert Carlyle, they steal, they steal the scenes that they're in. Um, but but I knew, I knew when I got Begbie, I was like, I, this is how people see me. They see me as a wee bit of a Ned. Um, they see me as a, as a villain. And, I, and rather than buck against it, which a lot of actors do, um, and a lot of drama schools will encourage their students not to get typecast. But I worked with um, John Chalice, who plays Boise in Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> um, on the Brian Cox job, actually, Richard III, Shakespeare play. Um, Brian was directing it. But John said to me, I was a week out of drama school. He said to me, and again, we're still in touch, a lovely, lovely man. John said, don't ever worry about getting typecast. He said, if people see you as one thing, he said, it's ble a blessing, it's not a curse. And oh, he was right. Um, and I've cultivated that I've got, I mean, I don't get the tattoos forward, but we're up to 18. I'm probably going to get one, another one this week. Um, I'm at the gym. I've done seven days at the gym this week because there's so much time at the moment. I'm like, I was supposed to have a day off today and I was like, nah, I'll just go. I'll be back there tomorrow morning when Alba's having a wee nap. Um, so I look a certain way and it's... Embrace it's, it. Yeah, it, it just, it works for me. Um, and all right, you know, I... I I probably don't get to play a range of parts that I could potentially do, but you're on set, you're working with the best people, you're getting well paid. There's not a lot to moan about, you know what I mean? No, I mean, and I also know there's certain actors who had a fear of being typecast, they tried yeah. to move in our roles, had no success, and they end up coming back to it. Yeah. And maybe missed or, the great years from doing it too. Sometimes I think, sometimes I think you see this in soaps, a lot of people do a soap, a lot of younger actors, they'll go... And they both right, to I'm, do something else, I'm don't off, they? I'm off, I'm better than this. Dead in the water, you don't see them again. No. Um, Unless they're Australian. And, Quite a few of the Australian ones have done it, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get your, your Guy Pierces who... Again, um, you've worked with Guy Pierce, haven't you, as well? Guy, love, lovely lads. Um, Fantastic actor. I, he turned it, he'd done another one, see Memento, and the one he'd done... <sighs> what's the one he played at? Horrible bastard. Uh, was it ravenous or oh, lawless? You know, it's it might have been lawless actually. Yeah, he's the he's the, the name. Caught. Yeah, he's he, he's he, in this film that I did with him. It's called. It was originally called Liarbird, and it's now called The Last Vermeer. So, guys, the lead in it. Um, he plays up an artist, and it's a phenomenal performance. But he is a lovely guy. I just used to sit outside his trailer playing guitar and I'd be like, fucking, he's not half bad on the old guitar either. <laughs> he was an absolute gent. But Guy, I think, he Guy's just naturally got a huge range as an actor like Gary Oldman. Um, he can do accents, he can change his physicality. 
Um, I work with Benedict Cumberbatch, who I think is a, a genius as an actor. He's the same. He can do different voices. He can do. He can look different. He can change his physicality. He's charismatic. They are. They are the top sort of five percent. These people who are yeah, they're the in, apex, aren't they? The apex. They're incredibly gifted. The rest of us were just lucky to be there. That's how I look at it. Um, well, I, I was saying that to like my friend, like with me, even my photographer. I worked hard because yeah. I don't think there's a talent. But I stayed at it for long. I've enjoyed it. But I've learned from, as what you said, working with people and doing stuff and picking up their good habits, what I've seen in influence. Yeah, yeah. And then, there's, and then there's some people that just, I don't think it comes purely natural, but it just fits them and they just move with it. Totally. And you're just like, you can't stop them. They're off and running, you know? But there's a lot, there's a, no, you're absolutely right. But there's a lot to be said for just to keep learning. And I say that in my students. Um, they, they, a lot of the youngsters that I teach who want to be actors, they don't have enough awareness about politics and culture. And so if we do a film about, you know, if there's a film next year about uh, COVID and they go into the audition and they, the producer's like, well, so how was your lockdown? Yeah, it was cool. I just smoked weed. <laughs> do you That's know what you just said be- there, Karen? Yeah. You nailed it because you, you mentioned Robert Mitchum. Yeah, Robert yeah. Mitchum actually travelled as a hobo, as a young man. Yeah. he. If you look at his life before he yeah, became an actor, it, about him, yeah. he's had quite a tough... I actually remember Robert Mitchum as a young guy and he was the older guy with the big, huge glasses and I'm like, I don't really like this yeah, guy. Yeah. And then you're going back and watching Cape Fear and stuff and you're like, this guy is badass. Yeah. But you James, look at his life... James Stewart was a fighter pilot in the war. Um, you know, and, and volunteered to go and fight and... He was too late the first time he went in, so he got rejected, and then he went, he went and beefed up so that he could go and fight for his country. James Cagney had an amazing life. The, the, the problem with youngsters is they, they think, I sound like an old fart. They, they but they think, want the fame before all the work getting put in. They yeah, just want that yeah. final destination rather than the journey getting there, isn't totally. it? And, and so, for example, using that COVID thing as, a, as, a, as an example, what the producer and the director and the casting director would look for is, is how it how it formed your what was your experience of it, how's it affected your family and those around you to be able to talk about it, to, to be control able to their experiences and bring it totally out and seeing the and sadness and with other people and and whether whether the casting director agrees with it or not, just to converse about how you think the government handled it here compared to New Zealand or whatever. And I think a lot of youngsters are going to fall down on that. They're like, they can't converse about just what's going on in the world, you know, uh, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Um, but I do sound like an old fart, but it's true. And I, I do say to my students... No, but things know, are changing. It's, yeah. but you have to remember, you grew up at a time where you didn't have a mobile phone to go... No. Yeah, what you what you's up to that you can stay in your house good night or something, you had to get off your ass and go look for your mates. I remember going like that. Yeah, totally. It's like you're pushed out the door and you're like, where are they? I had to go look for yeah. them. So you had to draw upon your character, your will, enthusiasm to go and find stuff. So it's just things yeah, yeah. we go back to things become too easy that definitely you were that it does, soft. It does worry me for a, for a lot of youngsters, but I don't worry about the ones that are driven and, and realize that that they have to open their minds up and travel and, you know, and kind of work their way up in the industry. There's a few of those. They'll maybe be off the top of my nut. There'll be five out of maybe 40 that are like that. The other 35 
I've just got to fight to try and stay in and work at a certain level. Um, but there's a great deal of satisfaction when one of your kids, like I taught a lad, uh, Zach Morris, who plays Keegan in EastEnders. I taught Zach years ago, and I'm sitting watching EastEnders. He's been in it for years now. That's my boy. That's my boy in the telly. <laughs> but I just knew. He knew, he knew he was he was soaking up everything you were saying. And I'll give you an example about Zach. We started an acting school last September, Maze and I, and unfortunately, because of the COVID thing, we've had to close it temporarily. But Zach is on a lot of money at EastEnders and is driving a beautiful car and is he's sorted and he's coveted as an actor. Um he messaged me the other month going, I want to come to your school and teach. And he's, I'd say Zach's, what, about 22, 23 now, maybe, maybe even younger. And I'm like, that's what you want. He wants to, he wants to pass his knowledge on. And, but he also wants to be able to say in two years, look, I've taught people three times my age. I want to direct a short film. Then I want to direct a feature. And that, that thing that he's got, he can't teach it. No, that's uh, the desire. I speak about that yeah. with Evan. Football, Evan, is just, you have yeah, to have yeah. that desire. You can, yeah. If they've not got that, then good luck to you because you're going to struggle. A pal, of mine, a pal of mine was a pro footballer. Uh, Derek knows him, Scott McKenzie. Scott played for Falkirk in Hamilton, St Mirren, and then was the, I think, coach at, at Thistle. And Scott said to one of our mutual pals a few years ago, he's like... A lot of the boys that come through have got all the talent in the world, but they don't have the drive and the hunger and the attitude. And it's, um, I think it's endemic in a lot of different things now. Whereas back when we did it, you had to really fight and scrap to 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 get noticed. And I don't think it, it's as prevalent now that, that kids realise you, you do have to fight to get to where you want to get to. You know, no, I agree. Skill. I, I just, just that's exactly it, isn't it? And hopefully, you can teach some of these people to do it. I've, I've got my kid, young kids, and I try and tell them that it's like you can do whatever you want, but you have to want to do it. Yeah, totally. Whether it's being a vet or a you know, you know, or a engineer, whatever it is, it's it. You have to. Oh God, I sound like David Brent, but I do say, and one of the first things I say Get to my yeah, well, yeah, but I do say to them, they'll say, "How how do you get to a certain level?" And I'm like, "You need a strategy. You need to you need to be ticking boxes as you go. You need to be trying to get the right agent. Then you need to if you want to do Happy Valley, uh, or you know, um, I, I mentioned well, there's going to be a Game of Thrones uh, prequel, isn't there? Um, House of the Dragon." But the, the the most amazing casting director in London is a woman called Nina Gold. And she's got a team of like four associates who work with her. That should be part of your strategy to get in that room. Um, because if you do a good job on one of those, you may end up getting a gig that leads to another gig, that leads to a lead gig, that leads to a BAFTA, that leads to an Oscar. You don't know where you're going to end up. So they don't have an awareness of who the players are in the industry and I try and encourage them to learn that. Not in a horrible way, but just to say, if you want to do Happy Valley, you need to see Beverly Keogh. If you want to do Jamestown, which was a series that finished last year, you've got to see Jill Trevelyan. You need to know who you need to get in to see. To do. You want to do EastEnders? 
who's the casting director? Most of them go, I've got no idea. I don't watch it. And I'm like, so you want to be in it, but you don't watch it. How are you going to have a conversation when you get the opportunity? Um, or even or even surprise them that you know a wee bit, you know? Yeah. I'll tell, I'll tell you a quick story. I did a couple of episodes of Waterloo Road a few years ago. And I got the audition, and it was one of those jobs, Waterloo Road, I always fancied it. Because um, I watched the early Waterloo Roads, and it was great. But as soon as I knew I was up for the job, I... I watched a kind of backlog of episodes and it was this one amazing, brilliant actor, a lad called Jason Dunn. Um, and he falls off the roof and they did an amazing stunt on a crane, put him on a harness and they, they filmed him from above falling backwards off the roof till he landed on the floor. And I was watching it and I was like, fucking hell, that's, that's like a, a high-end stunt. You know, for a for a, a you know a, a a drama. So when I went in for the casting, Pat Harkins, lovely lad, the director, was like, "Do you watch the show?" And I was like, "I do." Um, I'm not going to lie; I've not watched every single episode. But can I just say, I watched the episode where Jason Dunn got killed. I said, and that stunt coming off the roof was unfucking believable. I probably did say that. <laughs> I went brilliant. So it, it, I just thought that was phenomenal. And the producer who had kind of overseen that and it was her idea and it was her baby. Exactly. Her face, she was sitting there and her face just lit up and Pat said to me, I think you've just got yourself a job. <laughs> um, only, only because I watched it. Um, and I genuinely thought it was brilliant. And you got it and you understood it. I know yeah, it. he so, gets it, what we're trying yeah, to do I here. Did, I did get the gig. I, I mean, I, I think the audition was good, but I think it definitely helped. And it's not, it's not arse licking or crawling. It's, it's literally just... It's appreciating a, what they do. Totally. Something, yeah. They probably sense that you go, he's not just sucking up my ass here. He yeah. actually did no, totally. appreciate that. And the little things like, um, I know the actors' names. I don't, I don't necessarily know. The, I know the characters' names, but I also know the actors. If you, you know, if, if you were to read 15 characters in EastEnders at the moment, I'd know... I'd know the actors' names because I don't see them as, you know, the characters necessarily. I see them as people who have got a body of work, who have got to a very, very high level at what they do. And I think I did Emmerdale. Um, I did 10 episodes of that. Um, but when I went in for it, they just won, they just won some massive awards. They won like... Um, uh, it was it. Um, it was one of the high end awards, like a Screen Guild or BAFTA or something. But he just won some huge awards, and I mentioned it at the at the casting. And because a mate of mine had said, "Arm yourself with knowledge about the show," he said, "Just make sure you know what's happening." And again, I watched episodes. I knew the storylines. I was to have a storyline with a brilliant younger actor called Michael Parr, who played Ross Barton. Um, and they were like, look, I don't know if you, you know the Ross Barton character. I was like, yeah, that's Pete's brother, and uh, I know they're having a bit of bother at the moment, blah, blah. And it all just makes them feel more comfortable in your presence. And then if you can get up and do your thing, it, you, you're, you're going to give yourself a good shot. Ah, you've slotted yourself in there. Is it, oh, we don't the need to teach this guy that, this and that. Yeah, 
this is definitely a David Brent thing to say, but that knowledge is power. And it's so true. And to turn up to turn up at Doctors or Hollyoaks or Holby City or Casualty or EastEnders or Coronation Street or Emmerdale with no knowledge of the show that you are dying to get a gig on, you don't deserve it. You need to know what these people are doing. Well, it probably sounds as if you do, you're no dying to get it. Something yeah, like well, totally. Um, and, and the other thing on that is, is uh, so learning your lines for... Um, I got a job last year and the, the writer said to me, you were the only one that turned up in a suit and you were the only one that had learned the dialogue. Separate yourself right there, would you? Totally. Um, and there were maybe six or seven other actors up for that and I saw a few of them in the um, reception area, uh, the mm -hmm. building, and these are good actors with a lot of work behind them. And I was like, don't fucking... <laughs> You know, I don't, um, I don't know if this is going to go my way, but I was prepped and I, I, I decided that that's a look that I wanted for that particular day. Because um, you dress, you dress accordingly. You know, if you're up for a builder, then it's all right to look like this. But if you're up for a copper, you know, you need to get the razor out. You need to, you need to get the shoe. Get the yeah, you've got to, but a lot of actors don't. They think... I think a lot of older actors particularly think, well, they can fit me around the character. It doesn't work the other way around. And actually, it works exactly the other way around. You should walk into that room and make them think, well, we can't really not give this guy it, even though those six have got five more movies and, and regulars, and this guy's more of a, a sort of supporting actor. They've got to give you the gig. Yeah, just more believable, and that's what I yeah. want. Is that somebody watching something is like getting taken yeah. the your reality into a whole new reality that you believe. Because sometimes, I guess you can get too famous and they see you as one thing. So if you're yeah. turning up and believing, like this guy is that, yeah, totally. And um, it's just part of the job, and you also need it to get you in the zone mentally. Because um, if you kind of if you approach stuff lazily you'll never really carry the right energy to do, to do it justice when you get in the room. Because then you've got, you've got adrenaline to deal with, you've got nerves, um, you've got the pressure of the casting director, the producer, the director, and the writer now looking at you. So if you're not prepped, I mean, you can always forget your lines. It's happened to me. But if you forget it two, three, four times in a row, <sighs> dead in the yeah, water, you, you, you forget it, you know? And then they'll maybe hand you a script that you've never seen before and they'll say, go outside for two minutes or come back in and do it. Of course, you can't learn three pages of dialogue, but you've got to make a decision about how you want to play it um, and practice your sight reading so that your eyes aren't locked on the page constantly, but you're looking up and making eye contact with a casting director or the writer who's reading and you're bringing it off the page. Um, and a lot of actors don't do it. They don't practice these things. They're lazy. Um, it's almost like a divine right to get a gig. Nobody's got that unless you're a movie star or a major TV star. Well, may maybe this lockdown's going to give you the wee spot on you need to be what you want to be. Fingers crossed, bud. Fingers crossed. The exciting thing is, is, as I say, we could chat next year and I could be in a completely different country. Mate, I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, well, I'd, lo I'd love to see what you're yeah. doing. I know now you're in a wee bit of limbo well, just with everybody no else. Yeah. 
this time and next just year, catch up and see what you're up to. Definitely, this time next year be a good a good time to chat. I think I think what's going to happen with our business. Um, I can't really speak for the feet side because I don't do much of that. But I think February, March, sort of April next year, there will be a massive backlog of TV and film that needs to be shot. So I think for some actors, and you can only hope you're one of them, next year and 2022 are going to be very busy years for some people. But each each thing that you go for, um, it's like putting a new pair of trousers on. You can't treat one thing the same as another. No. It's a different day, it's a different look, it's a different, a different vibe. Oh, that was quite David Brent vibe. Oh. Yeah, mate, I'm gonna, I'm gonna for the, for the picture for this podcast, I'm just gonna put your face on David Brent sitting on the desk. You <laughs> said that, that bit out, mate. I'll send you the money. Um, but good to catch up at some point. Mate, it would be, and I just want to say one more time, because I probably have, but I'm a very appreciative person. I really no. do appreciate you coming on. It's been Listen, great because I like getting in. It's from like a, I'm the outsider and I love yeah. that inside information. And a well, guy you love, like you and the stuff. love film. But, but to be honest, mate, I, I mean, I've done a few of these. It's always surprising and flattering to be asked. And, you know, it's I'm very passionate about what, what it is that we do. I can so, tell, mate. I can tell. Talk, talking about it and, and, and sort of extolling the virtues and the joys of it isn't, it, isn't it a difficult thing. But, um, if I get any exciting news, I'll drop you a message and maybe we can do a catch-up. You better, mate. Okay, I'll hold you to that. Good. No right, worries, buddy. Thanks I'll, again, I'll Cameron, mate. When I'm the next uh, cat woman or something. <laughs> right, okay, mate. <laughs> right, see you later, buddy. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye-bye.